0: I know that some of you in this room have um, done an adoption. Uh, some of you may have been adopted. Peggy and I have gotten to see a couple adoptions up close, and it's just been thrilling to watch. Um, probably the most thrilling was years ago when you could still enter the airport beyond security. and We had some friends who had tried for years to have children, and they couldn't, and had gone to Columbia to get their daughter. And uh, we got to be, there was probably 50 people in the MSP airport at the gate and we had signs and everything as uh, Nancy came off with Alyssa and it was just so thrilling to just watch what that meant and to see that celebration and to watch that child grow up. I can't imagine what it would be like to be that child. Now if you're an infant and a lot of adoptions happen today as infants they never have known anything different. What I can't imagine is if you're that child who has spent some years and is aware in an orphanage and has spent a lot of time wanting a family, wanting parents, wanting all that that brings, and finally, somehow, someone picks you, and that which you have wanted with all your life actually happens. I want us to think a little bit about adoption today and some more that I think it illustrates for us. But there's an interesting thing. The child doesn't start the adoption process. The child living in that orphanage doesn't really do anything and probably doesn't even know anything's happening that is going to change their life forever. It's the parents, isn't it? I mean, the parents make the choice that says, we are going to adopt. And in our day of international adoptions those parents may even think about where do we want to adopt a child from? And then they begin the research in that entire process and, and once they find out where they want to adopt from, maybe even a particular orphanage, there is an enormous application process. Both in this country and in the other country if it's an international adoption and there's an enormous cost to pay both in the actual adoption process the travel the staying oftentimes for weeks in a foreign country through the approval process and all of that cost and the child doesn't know any of that is going on they do absolutely nothing to bring it about until one day that parent shows up and they're adopted I want us to talk about adoption today, our adoption. Not a biological adoption, but a spiritual adoption. And it's not we who do the adopting, but in fact, it is God. God who adopts us. Turn over with me, if you would, to Galatians 4. I want to read verses 4 through 7. This passage, Paul talks about how God chose to adopt us. When the time he had been planning for finally came, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we could be adopted and become God's children. Because you are now his sons and daughters, Paul was writing to Christians, because you are now his sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father, Papa, Father, Dad, Father. So you're no longer a slave. Because you're adopted, you're God's child, and since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. That's us. That's you, that's me. People whom God has said, I choose you, I want to adopt you. I want you to become my child so that you can call me Dad. I choose you. That's what Jesus was offering when he said to us, come follow me. It was an invitation into this adoption process. It was his way of saying to us, God has chosen you and wants to adopt you into his family. I want us to take a little bit of a detour today. We started last week, and, and <clears throat> I started talking about what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does that really mean? It's more than just a one-time decision, getting baptized, praying a prayer, any of those kinds of things. But in talking about what it means for us to follow Jesus, sometimes I think we get it backwards. And so today, I want us to take a Sunday to step back and say, why does Jesus even invite us to follow me? What is really driving that? And the reason I want to take this sort of weak detour is because when we focus so much on what we need to do, sometimes we get this backwards. And we think following following Jesus is all about us and what we need to do. And it does include that, and we're going to talk some more about that in the coming weeks. But at, at its core, it's not about our decision, it's about God. And I think too often sometimes we feel like I've got to get God's attention, or I've got to earn God's love, or I've got to earn His approval. I've got to be good enough that He wants me. And, and we get there because so often that's how our world raises us. My parents uh, like me when I do well. I get approval when I win or when I get good grades or whatever. It's my performance that earns approval. And we're taught that so often in our world, it's natural that we apply that to God. And so then we come to following Jesus and we think, well, what do I need to do so that I can get in? So that he'll want me, so that I can be that Christian. The good news that I want you to understand today is that God already wants you. He's already said, I want to adopt you. I want you as my child. Jesus lived in a day when the the righteous people, the the church-going folks, had a very clear teaching that God only liked those who did good things, the righteous. And if you were a sinner, God didn't want anything to do with you. And of course, Jesus constantly challenged that. One of the parables he told is over in Matthew 18. It's the parable of that lost sheep. Jesus says there, "Uh, what do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, Truly, I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that didn't wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. He cares about every single one of his children. That's you. That's me. That's the person in the pew in front of you and the person behind you. God wants every one of his children to be a part of his family, to be safe, to be rescued. Now there's a truth that we need to face. And it's my most anxious part of this sermon and I'll confess that to you up front. Because I'm going to talk about something we're not comfortable with anymore. And that is the truth that we don't deserve to be adopted. Turn over with me to Ephesians 2. We're going to read a couple passages there. First, I want to read the first three verses of Ephesians 2. And this is Paul talking about where we've come from. And how we're not earning God's adoption. And he's writing to the Christians in Ephesus. These are not non-Christians. He's writing this to the Christians in Ephesus. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. That's Satan. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. You're dead. All of us also lived among them at one time. So Paul's saying, it wasn't just you, me too. At one point, we were all dead. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. If we talk about how good we are, whether God is lucky to have us or not, or whether we deserve to get into heaven, there's two groups in this room. It would be true in any church. There's one group who's sitting here saying, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I am no prize. God isn't lucky to have me. I'm shocked he's even interested in me. This group is aware of the things they've done, painfully aware of the things they've done. And look back at their lives as ashamed and would quickly say, I am that person who is dead, who is an object waiting for wrath. But there's another group here and it probably is a majority in this room. Maybe not, but I would guess so. And that is a group that honestly, though we would never admit it, feels pretty good about who we are. Because you know how we do it as humans? We compare ourselves to somebody worse than us. And we can always find somebody worse than us. And if you've had basically a clean life, basically lived in a moral home all your time, it's pretty easy to find people worse than you. And we can be amazed at God's grace that he loves those sinners who are just terrible. Look what they've done for me. Yeah, I can see why I got in. We look at the goodness that we have compared to others, and we're doing okay. We sort of understand why God would want me as that sheep on the mountain that he comes after. But the truth is, Paul's right. He was writing to a church. He said, the truth is we are all dead. Because we're all sinners. We are all guilty. We are all deserving of wrath. The truth is we are all on death row. Doesn't matter how good we are. Doesn't matter how much list we can make of the bad things we haven't done compared to others. The reality that Paul came to understand is that all of us are sinners. And as such we are condemned. Hold your your finger there in Ephesians because we're going to come back. But I want to turn over to Romans chapter three, verses ten through twelve. As it is written, there is no one who is totally righteous, not even one. There is no one who always understands. There is no one who always seeks God. Everyone at some point has turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And the truth is, Paul's right. Sure, we have our good days, and we make our good choices, and we do our good ser- acts of servanthood, and, and we can find those. But when we focus on that, what we're not focusing on, and what Paul sees is, what about the other days? When we call the shots for our own lives and we don't listen to God, when we sort of shut God out and we say, I want to call the shots for my life, or when we do those things which aren't so good and we have those thoughts about people that aren't so good, or in driving, we really try and cut that person off. Or whatever it goes and whatever it would be for each of us. The reality is we all at times blow it. Sure, those good days and those good choices are there, but at its core, we all have blown it, and we still do. Paul would go on at length later in Romans and talk about the dilemma he had in himself because he knew that he did want to follow God, and yet repeatedly he would make wrong choices. And do the very things he had vowed. I'll never do those again. Because it's not what God wants. And he does them. And his summary as he looks at his own life. Is that I am a wretched man. And I'm in trouble. Were it not for Jesus Christ. We are dead men walking. Dead men and women walking too follow that movie title now we don't like that and it's not popular to talk about anymore if you're as old as I am you can remember those old hellfire sermons and those of you who missed out on them I I wish you could hear just one I won't do it but I wish you could hear just one Because those old preachers would go at length into how hot hell is going to be and how long you will suffer because it's for eternity and would go on and on and on. And the goal was really to scare you to where you better want Jesus. Right or wrong, I'm not here to assess history, the pendulum swung. Because... Christians, and I think rightly so, said, aren't we about a God of love? And we are. But maybe the pendulum has swung a little too far. Because what's happened today, at least in this country, in the church, is we never talk about sin, we never talk about guilt, we never talk about hell. And honestly, I can guarantee you if I put on the sign tomorrow, next Sunday, Sermon on Hell, it'd be a pretty empty building, wouldn't it? And some of you are sitting there saying, oh, I wonder where we could go next Sunday. Hmm. We don't talk a lot about sin and God's judgment. But they're reality. What Paul says is true. No matter how good we are we're not good enough and no matter how much I can find somebody worse than me it doesn't change the fact that I too am a sinner and I cannot be good enough to get into heaven by myself and if that is true and the Bible says it is then what the Bible also says is true whether it's popular and makes us feel good or not and that truth is that if I am a sinner then I am bound for hell I am an object of wrath headed for death and so are you and every one of us is in that same boat doesn't matter how much better we are than somebody else we're not good enough And good enough means you still miss the mark, and you don't make it. And that's why Paul writes to the Ephesian Christians and says, the truth is we're all dead men walking. And we're only waiting for the day of wrath for that capital punishment to be carried out against us. And the reality is there is a place God has reserved for all those who said, I don't want you. I don't want you as my God. I don't want to listen to you. I don't want to follow you. And at some point, God's going to say, fine, have it your way. I have a place without me. You can be. That's reality. And we need to face that. Because if we don't, we won't appreciate what God is offering us when Jesus comes along and says, come follow me. You see, without that, then come follow me is just another checkbox. But if I truly understand that I am a dead person waiting to die forever, and then Jesus comes along and says, it doesn't have to be that way. You're that sheep lost on the mountain, let me show you the way down. Come follow me. And then suddenly what Jesus says to us is the greatest good news we've ever heard. I'm on death row waiting my punishment and somebody's got a key to let me out. That's why we need to understand the reality of sin and God's wrath because it lets us see what Jesus is offering us. And the good news is that God chooses us anyway. We are those sinners. We are objects of wrath. And God says, I still want to adopt you. Go back to that Ephesians passage. I want to keep reading verses 4 through 7 of of Ephesians 2. So remember, we just read 1 through 3. We are objects of wrath. We are sinners. We're dead. But, verse 4, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive. We were dead. He made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. God's undeserved love and favor. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Why does God choose us and save us despite our sin? so that the entire world can see what a God of love he is. And to the extent he would go to save us. And wouldn't marvel at us at all. Only marvel at a God who still saves. Despite who we are. God loves you and he wants to adopt you. Even though you don't deserve it. And you're not a prize, and you can't become a prize good enough. So God should adopt you. But he wants to pick you. Can you imagine, and they can't do it this way, but can you imagine being in an orphanage with a bunch of older preschool or grade school children, and you were somehow told that there's a set of parents coming from America today and they're going to adopt one child. I can't imagine what that would be like. If there's 30 of us in the room, that means 29 are not going to get adopted, but somebody will. Somebody's going to have a whole new future. The very thing we've all wanted for. Who's he going to pick? The good news is, God says, I want you all. I want everybody in this room because I want you and 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 And there's nobody he says sorry I can't take you nobody God wants to adopt us and that's why Jesus says come follow me and you talk about expensive adoptions your adoption was the most expensive adoption in history because Jesus died so he could adopt you. That's way beyond $20,000, $30,000. I mean, it wouldn't work, but what adoptive parent would say, you have to die first, then you can adopt? You have to give your very life first, and then you can adopt, but that's what God did. And Jesus died, that he could adopt us even though we don't deserve it, and we're not perfect, and we blow it. And Jesus comes along and says, come follow me. I want to take you home. And that is what he invites us to, and that's what we're going to be talking about in this follow me because what Jesus is really saying is I want you to follow me to this whole new home, this whole new life, because you're going to be adopted by the God of the universe. And can you imagine that child that grows up in Russia or Africa or whatever and they're adopted and flown over here? They don't have a clue what they're what's coming. They're getting a whole new family. A whole new set of ancestors, a whole new way of talking, a whole new language, a whole new way of living. Everything is going to be brand new, and that's what Jesus says, yep, come follow me. I have a whole new way of living that is so much better than the life you've known. I have a whole new spiritual family, God's family, that you're going to get. There's a whole new way of living and all these things you can't imagine are waiting for you. Follow me home. We want to adopt you, my Father and I. You don't need to know anything, Jesus says. I'll show you the ropes. I'll show you how we live in this new home. I'll show you how we talk. I'll show you how life is in this new family. Just come follow me that's what his invitation to is to and he says trust me it's going to be great so much better that's what Jesus is offering I don't want in any way demean the Ebola outbreak but I want to leave you with a picture because I think it's biblically accurate I've been talking to Adolphus and Mercy and asking about the orphanage. We've done a lot for this orphanage in Liberia, and of course Liberia has become the epicenter, or one of the epicenters for the Ebola outbreak. And Adolphus has said their their main goal is to try and isolate the orphanage. And so anything that anybody goes in or out to get food or anything, that's the risk. Because the truth is if the Ebola enters in West Africa today, it's basically a death sentence. They don't have the miracle wonder drugs and they don't have Emory University. Could you imagine if you're in an orphanage as a child, you can't get out, you can't do anything, and the Ebola gets in. And somehow you know it's only a matter of time. Do we all die? And then somebody walks in and says, I have a plane that will fly you to Emory University. And we have miracle drugs there. You can live. I can't imagine what I'd feel like. And that is exactly what Jesus did. Because we're living in an orphanage where everybody's going to die. And he lands and he says, I have a plane for each of you. Come, follow me. And you will live forever. That's what he means when he says, come follow. God we don't like to think of our sin and being hopeless and helpless but it's truth it's reality and we need to face it even though that's painful and humbling and humiliating and embarrassing it just makes us amazed that you say I still want you I want to adopt you You don't need to die. I died for you. I have a plane. And I want to fly you to life forever. Father, thank you. Jesus, thank you that you were willing to pay the cost to save us. And that you now invite us. Follow me. Thank you. We want to follow you. In your name, amen.